Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to season two of the Coaching Matters group coaching program brought to you by Fundraising University. Coaching Matters is a nonprofit foundation whose primary purpose is to help coaches, athletes, and activities directors succeed in their programs, schools, and communities. Fundraising University works to help you raise the most amount of money in the least amount of time with the least amount of interference to support coaches, activities directors, in enhancing the student-athlete experience and life skill development that's a critical component of our educational system. Every month, Fundraising University brings you a live group coaching session around mastering mental performance, creating championship culture, and developing the leadership skills you need to succeed. Be sure to apply to be part of Coaching Matters Season 2 at coachingmatters.org. Again, apply to be part of Season 2 at coachingmatters.org. Hey, how's it going? Brian Kane, host of the Coaching Matters Group Coaching Program, sponsored by Fundraising University, and super excited for today to sit down with Coach Jim Schlossnagel. He's the head baseball coach of the Texas A&M Aggies and is somebody who has become a really close friend of mine and, and the guy who first hired me in 2006. So if there's anyone uh, in, in professional sports, in high school sports, in college sports that is into coaching the mental game, we've got him here today. And as much as he's into the mental game, he's also uh, one of college baseball's most winning coaches. He's this past year in 2021 when he guided Texas A&M, who preseason was number 13 out of 13 in the SEC and won the mighty SEC West and finished third at the College World Series where there were four teams from the SEC West. So turn that program around in one year. Excited to hear that's how the process about how that happened. But Coach Slosnagel is only the 14th coach in the history of college baseball to lead two programs, TCU, where he was before Texas A&M, uh, to Omaha. And he's one of four coaches in history to win multiple games with multiple schools in the College World Series, joining Larry Koshell, who had won games with Oral Roberts, Cal State Fullerton, and Oklahoma, Andy Lopez, who won games with Pepperdine, Florida, and Arizona, and with Augie Garrido, who won games at Cal State Fullerton in Texas. So joined elite company there as one of four coaches in college baseball history to win multiple games with multiple schools in the College World Series. His track record goes back to having played baseball at Elon College, now I believe Elon University in North Carolina from there. Went to be an assistant coach at Clemson University to an assistant coach at Tulane and then became the head baseball coach at UNLV. Then from UNLV went to TCU where we connected in 2006. He guided the Frogs to five College World Series titles. I'm sorry, five College World Series appearances, 2010, <laughs> 14, 15, 16, and 17. And most recently took Texas A&M to the College World Series. Uh, he was the head coach and manager of the 2013 Team USA College National Team, and super excited uh, to have him on Coaching Matters today, where we're going to talk about culture, talk about coaching the mental game, and what it takes to be successful in implementing a mental game program within your program. Coach Sloss, man, excited for this opportunity to sit down with you and talk mental game today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Kaner, thanks for uh, having me on. Appreciate it. 
coaches being on here, always good to share things and, and uh, learn from each other. So I'm fired up. Let's get rolling. Yeah, man. I mean, let's take it all the way back. Right. I mean, obviously you, you come to TCU, it's 2006. And I remember sitting in my athletic director's office in Vermont and I get a phone call and, and it's, and you were wondering about getting into the mental game. So maybe take us all the way back to uh, where it got started, maybe from your perspective with mental game, because I know it got started with heads up baseball before, before we got started, but maybe take us through sort of that transition for you into mental performance. Yeah. So uh, as an assistant coach, primarily at Tulane, uh, I'm not sure if it began, maybe I heard Ken Revisa speak at the coaches convention, uh, but I got my hands on no disrespect, Brian, what what I still think is the greatest mental game baseball book ever written. Uh, I'm at home right now, but I I had it. I keep it right next to my uh, computer at at the office, but heads up baseball by Ken Revisit. And it's a classic. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's it's still the the Bible in, in terms of the mental game of baseball, as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, um, as an assistant coach, I uh, just dove into it and I, I was, was just a full believer. And so I uh, just started teaching from the book, basically I, I, my, my undergrads in education. So I'm literally photocopying chapters and going over them with my pictures at Tulane. Uh, and, then, and then as a head coach, continued that at UNLV. And then uh, as a head coach at TCU, my first, so 2004, 2005, and half of 2006, I was still, you know, trying to do teach that on my own. And uh, I was still the pitching coach as the head coach. So I wasn't in constant contact with the hitters. Um, and so I, I bring that up because it doesn't matter if, 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 you're the, if, if as the head coach, you're the only person speaking the language and you're the only person that is implementing a system uh, versus your assistant coach's strength coach. I mean, anybody else who is touches your program has to be speaking the same language and has to have the same belief that's never really going to take. So anyway, I, I, that's where it kind of began. Um, you know, listen to Harvey Dorfman speak. I mean, just anybody and everybody, but, but primarily Ken Revisa, who I know you have tattooed on your chest. So, um, but then in 2006, um, we had a good team. I, I thought we had a good team. We had a guy by the name of Jake Arietta who was in the process of leading the nation in wins with 14 wins and we would eventually win a Cy Young uh, and win a world series with the Chicago Cubs. But we were 14 and 16. We had a losing record playing in the mountain West conference at TCU. Um, and this is long before TCU was the program that it is today. And, and so I was really at my wits end. Um, I think I had a conversation with Ken on the phone, uh, but I felt like our program needed Kind of like, you know, if you hear from your dad all the time, you eventually drown his voice out. And I felt like our program needed a shot in the arm of another voice, just a different voice, uh, someone to give us maybe better direction. And I had watched uh, Dave Serrano's College World Series team, and I believe that was 2005. Um, and, I, and I think I remember them mentioning your name. Uh, and, 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 and I know D- uh, Dave was a Cal State Fullerton guy, knew Ken Revisa well. I called Dave, and uh, he was at Irvine at the time. And, and I said, hey, man, tell me about this Brian Kane guy. And, uh, and that's when we brought you in uh, the week before we played uh, the Air Force Academy. And, and uh, that was just a, you know, I'll never forget that week. And 
that team ended up, you know, winning the conference, winning, winning the conference tournament. Uh, what regional we go to that year, 2006, uh, Norman, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Um, and so, and then since then, I, I, I think I'm your longest standing client, correct? Uh, yeah, I haven't, yeah. We haven't, we haven't missed since 2006. So this is now, yeah, I missed. <laughs> this is now year 17 of us doing this. 17. Thing. Yeah. So, so, so I, I guess to answer your question, that's how it started. And, uh, you know, we, I've considered you, as you know, way more than just a friend, but truly as a part of our staff. So, um, that's where we started. It's amazing. You know, in over 17 years, how has it evolved? Like how, how has it evolved from your perspective of bringing somebody in to talk to the team coming in once a year, a couple of times a year to, now, you know, weekly had weekly call with you, weekly call with the team, coming to campus five times, like and it being a system versus maybe a speech. How would you just talk about the evolution of the mental game in your in say the last 17 years? Yeah, I mean, it's I'll tell you how much it's evolved is is to the point where uh we bring all of our freshmen in and in a summer bridge program uh the summer before they before their fall semester and and we have Brian come in and speak and they instantly get taught the basics of the mental game uh, in our system the summer before they even enroll in class. And then, our, and this is God's honest truth, before we ever swing a bat, before we ever throw a ball, before we ever, um, you know, run, do anything. Yeah, we, we start off with the mental game and we start off with routines and we start off, what is the basis of the mental game? And, and um, the ability to, to be in control of yourself before you can be in control of your performance, which is not just during the game, but it's, you know, it's daily. It's, you know, you're, you're a product of your habits and your routine. So, so literally um, it, it's, it's way beyond just the pitch to pitch routines. It's now, now it's our culture. It's, it's part of who we are. It's, 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 it's in our blood and uh, it has become a language. I mean, it's literally, I, I, I'm a big believer that, Every great organization, every great program, um, regardless of the sport, male or female, they have a they have a language within the program that they use. And if you, if you were to walk into our clubhouse today and just yell out how you do anything, you would hear everybody else yell is how you do everything. You know, things like that. Success leads clues. So it just has become a part of us. And um, pitch to pitch routines, uh, the baseball side of things is is still at the core of it. But it has grown now to how can we best help these young men in my in my uh, profession become the best version of themselves? So how can we help them create better habits, uh, which is going to help them be more consistent uh, with their daily life? And then therefore their baseball, the baseball side of things will has a better chance to be more consistent. It doesn't guarantee you anything, but it gives you the best chance. And so um, it's literally you know, if you were put on a pie chart, how much we hit, how much we throw, how much we, you know, all of this baseball stuff, um, I would say the conversations or the intent of what we're trying to do in the mental game is well over 50%. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, you certainly have to have a level of talent. Uh, there's a base level of talent that you have to have to be competitive uh, especially, you know, for example, in our conference in the SEC, specifically the SEC West. Um, I mean, you can do that. You can do this all you want. If you if you don't have a, if you don't have a good enough players, I mean, you're still going to run into a brick wall. 
but at the but once you but once the talent level starts to equal out um this is the separator i mean there's just no doubt in my mind you know we i've been a part of i mean i don't know how many four or five game three of super regionals 16 inning games 22 inning games 15 inning games in in the college world series and you know baseball we all know the ball can bounce any direction but how teams that we've been a part of brian and i and coaching staff and everybody gets included in this it's just isn't he and i um but the teams we've been a part of we seem to handle those situations as good or better than our opponent that doesn't guarantee that we're going to win but i do believe we handle them better and um and, and so it's you know I'm, I'm getting off topic a little bit but that's it's it's just a hundred percent part of us uh, that, that's that's the best i can say it well, and you give an example, right? And you talk about all those, you know, as you're mentioning all those epic games and, you know, the, 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 however, what 21 inning game with Sam Houston state. Right. And we talk about the four trips to the college world series. Well, each of those postseasons, we were that close from being eliminated, you know, right. and, and a couple pitches here and there. And we talk about the importance of one pitch at a time, but also preparing for the moment when the moment arrives. And I think about, you know, Brian Howard in his performance or Joe White in his performance, right? And some of the things that those guys did who didn't play that much. But, I mean, I think just talking about the Brian Howard where he had seven innings all year and then comes out and throws six in that one game in the NCAA in the postseason. And, you know, when he when you go out to the mound to give him the ball, just the presence and the confidence that he has because he's been doing shadow bullpens all year, you know? And if we don't do those all year, does he answer the bell in that moment like he does? Talk about maybe that moment or any moments that stick out to you where you were like, this was a moment that if we don't do mental performance training all year, this player might not succeed. And then we might not have had the success that we had as a program. Yeah, I mean, that that that, that in, in the Joe White thing you're talking about where it was a kid at, at TCU who had been hurt and wasn't playing and then um, whatever happened to injury or whatever happened, he forced his way in the lineup in a regional and ended up being MVP of the regional. And, and this is a guy who's, you know, both these guys who were, who were just fully, who knew nothing about the mental game beforehand mm-hmm. and then completely dove in uh, full force and whether it be shadow bullpens, um, you know, uh, shadow at bats, we have, uh, I, I'll give you an example right now. We have two of our best players are, they're not hurt bad. They're just out a little bit right now at here, Texas A&M. I have not said one word to them about doing shadow at bats. And we've played four or five inner squads now in the last two weeks. And I look down the left field line and Ryan Targotch and Brett Minnick are going through six to 10 shadow at bats. They're, they're picking a player in each inning and shadowing the at bat and trying to put their mind to that place. And, you know, you can consider that hokey. You can, you can think that's not true, uh, but it's real. And when, and O'Brien will tell you that, you know, everything happens twice, you know, your, 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 your body cannot differentiate between what you phys- vividly imagine and what you physically endure. And so taking your mind to that place um, is, is fully uh, capable of preparing you for the moment. Um, we have a, uh, Brian has the video. We, we have a, a pitcher on our team that, I drive, I drive by our ballpark one day and I hear the crowd noise pumping and there's, we don't have practice. And I look out on the field and a guy named Will Johnston, who's trying to take a leap mentally, physically, he's been super talented, but he's trying to take a leap mentally to be able to handle, uh, you know, executing pitches when, when we need him the most in the most intense environments. And he's, you know, in our dugout, you can just plug your phone in and play music and he's playing crowd noise and he's taking himself through an entire inning on the mound. So, 
so yeah, so Brian Howard was the, he was probably the greatest story. Hadn't pitched for us hardly all year. We get into a, a 22 inning game with Sam Houston state and we're the visiting team. Like think about winning a 22 inning game as the visiting team. You, you guys know you have to score and then you have to go get them out. Like at any given time, they can hit a homer or something can happen. And the game's over. And, and uh, Howard, we didn't have, I was trying to hold off one pitcher, uh, our closer to, if we did happen to take the lead and I was down to the last guy and it was Howard and he goes out there as a freshman, goofy guy throw and throws five shutout innings in a winner's bracket game of the super regional. And he and he had thrown seven innings the whole season. Ironically of all the pitchers that have been at TCU in the last hundred plus years, I was there for 18 years. Only one pitcher has double digit 10 wins or more in more than one season in the history of the school. And it's Brian Howell and uh, his nickname, therefore big game Howie. So, and he's in triple a with Oakland, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, but, but everybody's got to be in, right. I mean, and uh, the, not just the players, staff, strength coach, whoever's around your program, because it truly is a language. Yeah. It's funny how you talk about everybody has to be in right. And in 2021, you, you go from, from TCU to Texas A&M and taking over a program that, that, you know, historically has been very competitive, but that coming off of the 2021 season, they had failed to make the SEC tournament. So you're taking over a program that was dead last in the SEC. And in one year, you're able to go in and get Texas A&M to win the West, which had four teams in the College World Series in Arkansas, Auburn, A&M, and Ole Miss, who, who won the whole thing, and finished third in the country. Talk about that transition of, you know, you're going in there, you got to hire a staff. So would you take into consideration, are these guys guys that have mental game experience or will they be into it if when, when we're going to do this? And then in terms of the rollout to the team and getting guys to buy into it and how you were able to turn that around so quickly at Texas A&M. Well, it, it, it's, it's a little, a lot, you know, not a lot, a little, I mean, that, that, that's the biggest thing is that everybody's looking for the magic pill and there was no magic pill for us other than it was a magic pill you took every day. Right. I mean, it's, it, it, there's not, it's not one speech. It's not, you know, this isn't something you put on a t-shirt or, or a, a piece of paper and talk about it in your first meeting, like this truly has to become part of you. So there was no question that, that, uh, you know, when I went to A&M that Brian Kane was coming with me. Right. Um, because that's just, that's who, that's who I am. That's who our, that's who, what our program is. And Nate Yeski, our pitching coach, I think you guys may have worked, you may have worked with Oregon state a little bit, yep. uh, but Nate and I, Nate and I knew uh, we knew each other well enough um, that I knew he would be in, uh, but the other guys, I didn't. And, um, but, but thankfully the AM program was at a point where everybody that was retained in the program, whether it be the players or staff, uh, and then the guys that were coming in, like Nolan came from LSU, uh, Mike Early from Arizona State, everybody was coming from somewhere else or they were staying there and things, things were at a point where they were just like, Hey man, just like, just tell us what to do and we'll do it. We want to win so bad. The people that were there were, were tired of losing and the people that were coming in, you know, they were excited for the opportunity. I think Nolan Kane, for example, talks came from LSU and talked about how every time we played, he, he said this to a recruit yesterday, every time we played TCU, I felt like we had better players than them, but they always beat us. Like they always played with this, 
temperament with this. They felt like they were always in control. You could never freak them out. Everything was, you know, and, and I'm not saying that as some pat on my back, but it's the player's back is who we need to pat. Um, and so I think everybody was open, you know? And so, you know, the, the two things you need to be coachable, in my opinion, number one, you have to be self-aware enough to know you need to be coached. Here are the things I'm good at. And here are the things that, that I need to learn because um, you can't learn what you think you already know. And then you have to have the humility to be coached. Right. And so I give a lot of credit to the returning players from AM, the, the guys that I inherited that were just all in, man. Like, and you think about these guys, they had a bad year the year before. A lot of the best players that were on that team left, signed, or transferred. Um, and now these guys are probably thinking, hey, I'm going to get to play a lot. And we bring in 11 transfers in the transfer portal. And some of the returning guys played a lot, and, and some of them didn't. Uh, but they, but it truly was, I call them the most imperfect, perfect team. Like we did not have, you know, we were, if you look at our numbers, we were the work, next to last fielding team in the SEC. We lost our starting shortstop for the season. We lost our starting third baseman, who was really our best player for most of the year. Um, and our starting pitching was very average. Uh, for the most part, we had two really good left-handed relievers in the bullpen. We played from behind all the time. Uh, but we, but because we, you know, because we use, for example, one of the words that's part of the language of our program is the word good. You know, when it's from a Jocko Willenick video on, I would encourage you to look up on YouTube. Uh, and when something bad happens, don't pout. Good, good, good. This gives us an opportunity to do this, you know? And so, I can't tell you how many times we give up four and, you know, it's the second inning and we're down four to one and guys just come back to the dugout. Good. Here we go. We're right where we always are, you know? And so I think that mentality, uh, you know, it aged me several years in one year, but um, I think that was the mentality and, um, and guys, it just started to build on itself. I mean, we were 10 and six, we get our rear ends beat by Houston on a Tuesday night we're getting ready to go start SEC play. And I don't think we're going to win five games. I'm like, how are we going to get through this juggernaut? We're going to LSU. And uh, they had a returning super regional team and we win the first game. Uh, we win the second game and we're up six to two in the fifth. And that's where the whole Pringles thing started. And um, from that point forward, man, these guys just had a belief and we went the whole season. We only lost back-to-back -back games one time. And that's crazy. Uh, no matter how good your team is, uh, especially in this league. So this, their ability to handle, uh, play for each other, um, play to a standard, not a scoreboard, and all these things are sounding coachy, but these are literally things we talk about every day. Uh, just kind of keep their blinders on and just keep playing pitch to pitch and look up at the end and see what happens. I mean, they were bought in from top to bottom and left to right. So it was, it was, it was a neat experience. Uh, it's something I want you to unpack for us. You said, I think it's so good. Play to a standard, not a scoreboard. What does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I think coach was a coach Bertman said you can, four things can happen when you play a game, you can play well and win. You can play well and lose. You can play poorly and win. You can play poorly uh, and lose. Right. So the only thing you can really control was trying to, you know, win pitches and, and, and if you're hitting, try to put together a quality bat. If you're pitching, try to execute a quality pitch, pitch to pitch. And so when we set that standard uh, and, you, and you truly on a daily basis, you know, even you, you hold guys to the standard uh, of winning pitches and having good body language and not paying attention to the score and just, just allowing the compound effect 
to work of, of playing the game one pitch at a time um, and winning pitches, um, then I think that becomes your standard. And then certainly we had some good comebacks. We had some, some positive things happen to where they start looking around like, Hey, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. Like, let's trust it. Right. And uh, I don't like meeting with teams during a game. I think it's a sign of panic. Um, but for the first time in probably 10 years, we're playing South Carolina at home on a Saturday and we're losing nine, nothing in about the fifth. And uh, I looked down the dugout it's completely different body language, pouty, some palms up, which I can't stand. Um, and I, I brought them together. I said, you guys need to, you know, you're playing, you're, you're, you're not, you're not playing to our standard. Like forget about the scoreboard for just forget about it. Just play, just play to a standard. And if, if, if now's the biggest test of, are we truly going to be bought into this? And who knows, you know, if that had any effect or not, but we get, we get a couple guys on it's nine to one. Then we hit the wind's blowing out. Our guy hits the ball at the end of the bat. It gets up in the wind blows out for a grand slam. All of a sudden it's nine, five. And now we've all been in that game where you feel like you're behind, but you feel like you're going to win. And we even, we tie the game. We actually, we go ahead. We're trying to get the two outs in the ninth and we give up two runs. So now we're losing again. We had taken the lead. We're losing again. And with two outs in the ninth inning, we hit a walk off two run homer. Right. And so Brett Minnick, 11 to 10. So, um, so yeah, so just, just that, that, that consistency of, you know, the things you can control versus the things you can't control. And so try to really focus on the, the controllables and try not to, you know, get emotional, uh, you know, stay neutral, um, stay competitive, but you can stay neutral and just keep playing. You talked about the controllables and, you know, you mentioned Brent Minnick now as a guy who's taking mental at bats while he's out this fall, he's a guy who gets that key home run. Um, and let's unpack the concept coach, if you would, about how do you take a program and you did it in year one in college station to go from coach fed to player led. How do you move a program from coach fed to player led to get them to take that ownership in the locker room? Yeah, that that's, you know, that's, uh, that's something that takes time. Uh, I got, whether you want to call it good recruiting by one of our assistants or whether you just want to call it luck. Um, I've had three, probably two that really stand out, but I would give, say three superior leaders in my career on teams that I've coached that happened to be the catcher. So Brian Holiday is the best ever at TCU. We had a kid named Evan Skaug at TCU that had some of that in him as well. And then, we were able to get this transfer from Oregon state named uh, Troy Clonch and another and a left-handed reliever from Stanford named uh, Jacob Palish. And so these were just elite human beings. And you could sense at the end of the fall that, that um, and these coaches on this call know what I'm talking about. You know, the best team you, you, to coach is a team you can trust, right? Is a team that you can, you can tell them they did well and they don't, taken you know you give them an inch and they take it for a mile right you can tell hey man you guys were awesome today and then they don't just try they don't just uh, step back they try to be better the next day right and and so this was a team that I could trust and I and at the end of the fall 100% I knew it like the I don't know how good these guys are I don't know how many guys are playing in the big leagues but these are some good dudes man like you can trust them and knock on wood we had we didn't have any you know, significant off the field problem. I knew that, you know, what they're doing at night, 
uh, wasn't going to be anything outlandish. I, I knew I could trust them. And so as we evolved into the season, um, one thing I've done and I've tried to do everything I've had, ca- I've named captains. I've had the team pick captains, uh, you know, and what I, what I've kind of settled on and Brian's been helpful with this is sort of kind of a leadership council, um, that I kind of choose and allow it to organically happen. Um, and I had five guys on it and they were just elite. And so you, I got to the point where, Hey, Hey guys, this is, you know, this is what we want. You guys know the standard. I'm turning this team over to you. The program itself, the over 36,000 foot view of the program belongs to the head coach and the, and the, and the assistant coaches. We're trying to navigate this massive ship that is Texas A&M baseball program. But each individual team is at its best when it belongs, when the players take ownership. And so once I had full buy-in from that group and I knew we did, then it was like, okay, here you go. And, and I would meet with those guys once every couple of weeks. Um, how's it going? If they wanted to bring something up to me, they could free to come in and say anything they wanted to say. Um, and it just evolved into that. And now on this particular team this year, we have a lot of older players back that watched that leadership council, that leadership group last year, do what they did. And so, and, and at TCU, I mean, I was there 18 years. So, I mean, from about 2010 or 11 on, then it just started stacking on top of itself. And guys were, you know, it, the players were in charge of the, of each individual team. And I just had to just kind of keep the whole, whole ship uh, moving. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but, but, but that's, to me, that's what you want is, is the head coach and the, and the coaches are, they're just helping integrate the new players and then once the new players are in, then the returning players and the, and the guys who have been around a while, they coach, we got it from here. We know exactly what you want and, and we have it. So it's almost like, it's almost like the, the players that return are installing what it is that you would install before you install it so that the new players are that much further ahead as, as they get into it. And I see the same thing happening, not just on the baseball side of things, but with the mental game side of things too, right? That when I show up, and I'm there. I remember you called me when we were in Omaha this year and you said, Hey, Cantor, our freshmen are showing up on this date. Could you, you know, get the campus on in, in, in these windows to work with our new guys? And we're still playing, right? So one, your for your forethought to go, I'm not just trying to coach for like the day and win the day, which obviously you are, but also the bigger picture of going, well, we need to get this organized and mapped out. And I think that's one of the right. things that for the coaches on the call that Coach Slosnagel was so good with is this the vision of what is coming up, anticipating and moving forward and staying ahead versus everything's reactionary. And one of the things I think that that you did faster than any other coach when it happened in March of 2020, when the pandemic hits, you said, hey, Kaner, this is an opportunity. This is a pivotal point in our program. No one knows what's going to happen. Things are getting shot down. I think we should try to do something weekly with, with us you and I connecting and then the program uh, and the staff and the team, how, how has COVID kind of changed some of the way that you've done things from a mental game standpoint? Yeah. So uh, doing, you know, doing a little, a lot versus a lot, a little, I mean, and now, you know, everybody in all, a lot of areas of life, we're used to doing zooms where uh, th- this has now become part of, part of us. I mean, guys now, I mean, TCU in the, uh, hundred however many year history of the school never had an online class and 
and COVID caused them to create online classes. And now Texas A&M, obviously a big place like this, they've had online classes. People are just used to that. So I, I think what it taught us is, holy cow, there's a unique way where we can take this thing to a whole next level and really interact um, and be within the, you know, we have NCAA rules. So like I can't have Zooms with the players and talk about bunt defense um, because that counts as practice, right? That counts as our 20 hours in our week. But we can we can have Zooms and talk about this. We can have Zooms to talk about life skills. We can we can watch the Tom Brady series and we can break it down and and give these up give these guys some rope to lead each other and lead a group and interact and talk and and so um, and just just be together more often in different settings and not just always at the baseball field, not just always in a classroom, uh, not just always in the batting cages. So that's really, I mean you're right during during covid we had to find a way to keep our team together um number one there was a draft coming and i wanted to keep our team together i knew we i knew if we could we had eight guys on that 2020 team that were either fourth or fifth year seniors and so in 2021 my last year at tcu we had eight seniors five of them in their sixth year of college Mm -hmm. and awesome kids all eight were on that leadership council um, they were, you know, we, we were national seed. We didn't win our regional, but we won the big 12 and all eight of those kids are amazing. And I think part of keeping that core group together for the 21 season was our weekly calls and still striving, still learning, still working, still cultivating culture, mental game and everything. And so now we've just kind of taken it completely next level, um, to where, you know, last year with Brian, we were, we went through the the Tom Brady, uh, what was it called, Brian? The, the, arena. the man in the arena. Yeah. So during the season this past year, every Monday night, you know, we were doing a, we were doing a zoom call with the team. And, um, you know, if a guy can't be on because he's got a class or a study or he's got something, no big deal. We just record it and uh, we send it to him. But this, the standard for us is to be on those calls. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and right now, uh, we're going through the captain, uh, the Derek Jeter thing. Uh, we'll we'll go through a book. I, I like to keep the team. If you, if you ever, I mean, probably the same thing's true in high school uh, baseball. Um, the scariest time of the year for me is the time between when the guys go home at, at Christmas uh, because we're, they get back and we're literally three to four weeks away from our season starting. And I have no idea what they've done over the break. And so one way we stay connected is we read a book. Usually it's the compound effect by Darren Hardy. Um, but we, we have a book and, and, or one year we did the, um, what was the YouTube series we did with the, uh, uh, with like the Navy SEAL thing. Remember oh, we did that? Selection. Yeah. The selection. We, we did that one year, just something to keep the team connected. And, um, and it's been great. So, uh, and we rarely come off of it. Maybe during the holidays, during a specific school break, uh, you know, uh, of course, at the end of the summer uh, or at the end of the season. But once we get once we get the new players on campus, then we have weekly Zooms with the new players. And then when the returning players come, then we get everybody going. Well, I think one of the things that was really cool this year, right, was was when we started doing the Zooms with the, with the incoming players. And then when I came to campus with the incoming players, any of the returning guys that were on campus were coming onto the Zoom calls and sitting in on the meetings we were doing with with the first year guys one because 
they generally, I think, enjoy the learning process and know how valuable it is and want to get better. And two, they wanted to show the incoming guys how important the mental game is and talk about how important it was, right? Because if they, if the incoming players, they hear it from you, they hear it from me, but when Jack Moss or Brett Minnick or, um, you know, a, a Ryan Prager or Nathan Detmer, Trevor Warner, or these returning Aggies who just were on TV in the college world series that these guys were all watching a month or two before come into the room and I'm able to, I'm able in year two to take it. instead of me having to necessarily implement the system and do the majority of the teaching, I'm able to go, Hey guys, Talk about your routines that you have as players. What do you do? And then I kind of fill in the gaps. And the cool part about it is there's not a ton of gaps to have to fill in, you know? So the best moments are, I think, when I'm able to sit back as a, as a mental performance coach and have those guys talk about the program and just sometimes I'm blown away at, at how, how into it they are without knowing that they're into it, you know? And I think that was one of the things with Jake Arietta. It was interesting. Talked about him being on that first TCU team in 06 which so was Matt Carpenter who will play tomorrow night for the New York Yankees, which is awesome. Uh, but I remember there was an article that came out in like 15 in spring training and Arietta was, was interviewed and he talked about how he remembered laying down on the floor in a room in the locker room at TCU in 06 and going, what is this? And it, I was talking him through mental imagery and he still does mental imagery in that year that he won the, the Cy Young and he would write down the word ace underneath his hat, you know, 15 years after the fact or, or 11 years after the fact. So it's, it's always interesting how much these guys will take with them into their pro career or into life through the mental game. And one of the things I think that they take away the most is the culture that you've created. So can you kind of go back and talk about creating a culture of selfless energy and excellence in Fort Worth and then bring in Relis to Texas A&M and sort of that, that evolution of building culture. It's something we talk about a lot here uh, on coaching matters. Yeah. So I, you know, that uh, basically the story is, you know, my first well, head coach at UNLV first couple of years at TCU uh, really the first well, four or five, six years, because we didn't really have selfless excellence and energy going until, uh, you know, 2010, 11 ish, I think. Um, you know, to me, you know, culture is the buzzword and it's true. I mean, it, it defines who you are. You, you know, if you, you got to stand, stand for something or you'll fall for anything is the old country song. And, and so, but, it, but if you're, if you're the people in your organization can't define it, if like, if, if, if everybody across the board can't explain exactly what you stand for, you know, whether it be, if you have core values, mission statement, whatever that's going to be, um, then you really don't have one. Right. And so, I remember Brian coming in and he said, Hey, you know, if I was to ask your team, what does it mean uh, to be a baseball player at TCU? And I said, well, they, they better say this and they better say this and they better say that. And I said, and Brian said, well, let's find out. So we did a, just did a survey uh, and in a, in our, in a classroom or in the locker room one day, and it came back with, they all said 40 or 50 different things. We wrote them up on a board and they were all great, but none of them were, there was no clarity. There was no, me and the simplicity is is the key and and you know there was no there was no north star and um to follow and so uh that's where we brian and i came up with that with our our three core values there that kind of encompassed what i wanted the program to stand for as well as all of those things the players put together and then in our mission statement and then uh we just that just became part of us and it wasn't just words on a wall or on a piece of paper and and so uh, that, you know, we uh, should I put it on this, the shoes that Nike designed like in it and it be, eventually became, you know, 
I would hear guys, you know, a guy walked in with some fast food and someone might say, Hey buddy, how excellent is that lunch right there? Not very excellent. Right. So uh, just hold, players holding each other accountable. And it just, again, becomes part of your language. And then when I came to Texas A&M, I was very hesitant to do the exact same thing here. I didn't really know what I was going to do uh, in terms of, you know, I was going from a 9,000 student, private school to a 72,000 student massive state university with all this huge steep tradition that is so much bigger than any one person. Texas A&M is it's so powerful the brand I mean some days you feel just swallowed up in it in a good way um, and so I just sat down at my computer one day and I was like does, does Texas A&M have its own core values as a university and they do and uh, respect, excellence, leadership, loyalty, integrity, and selfless service. And so my first thought was, well, who am I to come in and try and change that or try to bring something that's identified with TCU? And I think Coach Sarlos there has, has kept those. I'm not sure what they've done. But um, I was like, well, why don't we just expand on these and let's just define these in our program. Let's define what they mean to us. And so we came up with very clear uh, concise definitions of each one. Uh, and, and then I did bring this exact same mission statement because I think that's the mission for, should be the mission for every, uh, you know, athletic team, which is to help each and every person within the program become the very best, I put selfless version of themselves. And I think if everybody does that, then the baseball results will take care of themselves. So that's our mission. And then we have those six core values. Um, and uh, that's the language of our team. And we, uh, we, that, that's how people are evaluated. Um, you know, you can hit a buck 80 and have a seven ERA and we'll just keep working on it. But if you're not a good teammate, which is the definition of respect, then you're not going to be around, right? If you, if you have continually act below the line, we define integrity as above the line behavior, right? You, you know the difference between good, and, uh, you know, between good and bad. And so, I just, those, that's, that's the barometer that I use to evaluate myself, um, our coaches and everybody in the program. Yeah. And I love, you know, coach was, it was interesting how one of the, one of the, you know, I know some of the questions coming in, uh, talked about some of the great videos, you know, that you, that you've made and featured in the past. Uh, and one of the ones this year talked about the corner, right. Opening day, uh, in the corner of Bush and Olson. And I think, I think this is the video I want to share here on, on Facebook that kind of the first video that in your first year at Texas A&M, this is a video that would play before every game. I think this is the one, if not, we'll find it. But I think this is the one that would play before each game. And it's, it's, it is educating the fans and educating everybody in the community about the core principles of the program. Let's take a look. This is where the journey always begins. Filled with hope, setting out from home in search of the game's paradise on the plains. Along the way, bonds created, memories made. The sights sustain us, the sounds never fade away. The trek is long, 
It takes courage, a little luck, and perhaps some magic. Left center field. It could be. It is a home run. Sweet miss. He struck him out. Aggies are going to the College World Series. He is tagged whoa. this deep to left. Olsen magic doesn't live on in the Ray and Manning of the rivalry. It all starts here at the corner of Bush and Olsen. Tonight from yeah. that old corner, a new path. In- that's not that's not the, the video I'm looking for. No. But to, no. talk about the, let me let me try to find it. Talk about the importance yeah. of videos and kind of the way you use video to help reinforce the mindset that you're using with your team as I go looking for this one. Yeah, so I mean, I think I just try to get as creative as I possibly can to send the message that I that we want to send or reinforce culture or reinforce core values um, in every possible way. So whether it be bringing in Brian Kane, whether it be, um, you know, a guest speaker, but you do have to be careful with that. Um, you have to be really careful who you allow to talk to your team. Um, you have to be sure what they're going to say. Um, videos that, I mean, YouTube, there's countless things on there uh, that I go to. I mentioned the, the good video with Jocko Willenick. There's an awesome one that I use every year about Steph Curry. I mean, there's just so many great things on, on YouTube, but um the, the the videos that we created that became so popular at TCU, <clears throat> they started off as I didn't want another highlight recruit video. I wanted to find something that would define our program in a different way to the community and that would help kind of allow people to look inside of what the program was about. And um, I think the very first one was quiet confidence. And then the next second one was called the grind. And I can't take any credit for the, for the, for the, for the uh, production of those. We, we hired, a, there was a great young man who had just graduated TCU. And you guys know these people that are just so creative with film and, and music and everything. And, and I told him what we were trying to do. And he came up with quiet confidence first. And then I approved the script and I actually always send the script to Brian and then the grind that one is the one if you google it on youtube it's still the most viewed video that's associated with tcu athletically anything uh i mean it's been duplicated all over the world i've gotten emails from like volley eighth grade volleyball coaches in germany about the grind so um and then it just became a thing where we tried to live up to it every year and uh and so it came to came to text a&m and uh we had this one called the corner, which I think he tried to show you. I got the I got I found the other one. You found it? Okay. Yeah, I'll be playing okay. real quick. Cool. Yeah. This is our corner the corner of George Bush Drive and Olson Boulevard. This is our house, our home, and this is where we live out our core values every day. Respect. Those that sweat with me will matter to me. I will be a great teammate. Excellence. Good just won't cut it. I'll strive to be great. I will become the best version of myself in all areas of my life. Leadership. 
We always expect to be out front. I will set the example and hold my teammates accountable to the standard. Loyalty. The bond we create here will not be broken. I will put the team first and the team last in all my decisions. Integrity. There's nothing more important than your word. I will be honest and trustworthy. Selfless service. One of this university's timeless traditions. This life is not about me. It's about what I can do for others. Right here at the corner of Bush and Olson is where our core values live. Welcome to our home. Welcome to Texas A&M Baseball. Yeah, so there you saw just, you know, ha having the guys read off the core values and, and what the definitions of them were. So uh, I'm glad you brought this bet up, Brian, because I, I got to start thinking about what we're going to do this year. <laughs> so yeah. uh, a couple some questions, Coach, that come in. Obviously, one of them is uh, favorite books. You've mentioned The Compound Effect. Um, what are what are some other books that maybe you'd recommend that coaches look at using for themselves or maybe with their teams? I know that's something that's, that's big for you. Yeah, so just about anything written by John Gordon, I think is really good. I like I like his uh, it's one of the more least popular books he's written, but it's called You Win the Locker Room First. Uh, I thought that was really good. Uh, Legacy um, uh, is I'm going to have the players read the compound effect I've already mentioned by Darren Hardy. I think that should just be a staple of every, of just daily life, to be honest with you. Um, Ryan Holiday, the ego is the enemy obstacle is the way, uh, he's got, a, he's got a new one out now. Uh, what, what, what is it? Discipline is destiny. Yeah. Yeah. I got it right now. This discipline yeah. is destiny, which so far, just the, the first, the first 10 pages of the book talk about Lou Gehrig and, the discipline that that guy had during his streak and that alone is if you're a baseball coach, especially makes it worth buying to share with your team. Um, but yeah, there, there's, you know, I think you have to be careful. You have to, you know, there's a thousand, you know, there's a million leadership books and they're all good, but I think you have to pick and choose what, what you want to stand for and what you want to be consistent with. Um, but I, I do love, I know Brian talks about it a lot on his pod on his podcast, but op, the optimize app, is so incredible i mean you literally have no excuse uh it's free now right brian yep. uh it's free um i mean anytime you go for a walk anytime you're driving around like you can you can get basically what in my day was cliff notes you can get the cliff notes of the book and the key points of the book in 20 to 25 minutes like it's insanity i mean you don't have to read the entire book but um but yeah, those those are kind of my go tos. I, I'm I'm always looking for something else. But at the at the end of the day, if you just took, you held a gun to my head and said you get three books to use the rest of your life with your team, it would probably be the Compound Effect. Um, outside of Ken Revis, the Compound Effect, uh, probably Legacy, and probably um, Obstacle is the way. I, I think I think that one uh has really helped a lot of the teams that i've coached that you know the obstacle uh isn't in the way the obstacle becomes the way that's we, anything that's ever been accomplished great has always had to overcome something so ryan did a great job in that book of, of, of explaining that and if you were to throw heads up baseball in that mix would that be number one yeah heads up baseball for sure uh, that's why i said outside of revisa if you're going to yeah, talk yeah. about these other yeah, yeah. 
It's awesome. Well, I want to get to some questions here, but first I just want to take a minute to again say thank you to Fundraising University for sponsoring tonight's Coaching Matters call. And I'd like to again congratulate Fundraising University on their on, on being on entrepreneurs list of the top 50 emerging franchises in 2022. And with that said, Fundraising University is always looking to add motivated coaches uh, and members to their team, whether it's as franchise owners, as, as ambassador or coaches. So if you're interested, please click on the link here that I'll post in the chat and you can get more information and set up a time to, to talk with a member of the Fundraising University team. And for our high school coaches on the call, uh, I will share with you, I did a, I did a one-hour fundraising university fund you now with a high school I was working in Washington at Eastmont High School. And in one hour, one hour together in a classroom, we raised $30,000. So if you're interested in doing a fundraiser that is the most effective, the most efficient, and the most easy fundraiser you've ever done in your program and will be the most lucrative, I'll also put my email address in there, brian at briancane.com, and feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer any of those questions. I ran the fundraiser myself at the high school after I got done working with, with uh, some of the teams and their coaches on campus, and it, it was amazing. So definitely something that, that I would recommend looking into if fundraising is something that you have to do to help your program be able to do the things that you want to do that are not a part of your everyday uh, school sponsored budget. So coach, looking at questions, one of the questions that came in um, was, uh, what does it look like in your program with daily messaging? How do you keep it simple and keep them engaged with the mental game? Well, first of all, uh, so I put a, there's a TV, there's a TV in the locker room, there's a TV in the training room, there's a TV in the weight room. And we had our IT guys set it up to where, um, one of a member of my staff, we can run kind of a rolling, basically a rolling PowerPoint um, on there all day long uh, where we could put motivational videos, whatever. But we just have our constantly the language of our program with some cool pictures. And um, uh, so all of our core values, you know, the 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 language of our program. So the word good, how you do anything is how you do everything. Success leads clues. You know, champions behave like champions before they're champions. Like, so just those things are constantly scrolling on a television. Obviously, I'm real careful about what I put. So on my practice plan each day, I'll put something at the bottom of it that I that I want, you know, that I'm trying to reinforce, um, whether it be a, a, a picture with some work and all this stuff is just free. You just type in, uh, you know, confidence is a choice and then click images on Google and you have all these things you can just cut and paste and put right onto the practice plan at the bottom. And um, uh, there are a lot of days where, you know, Brian, you know, the first thing I do each morning uh, is listen to his, you know, his, his uh, three minute, three or four minute pod, little, uh, what do you call it? Your mental your, performance daily. Your mental performance daily. Um, there's a lot of days where during our stretch, uh, I can just plug my phone in and our players are supposed to do that on their own each morning, but, I'll play it over the loudspeakers of the stadium just in case if it was one I really want to reinforce or make sure they heard. Um, uh, but that's, you know, th those are primary ways, just subtle. Uh, we have a, uh, we don't necessarily do it during fall practice because we, it's just, I, tr I'm, I try to be very conscious of their time, but we have what we call TOM, so T-O-M, team organizational meeting. So we're just real intentional about, reinforcing culture and so they, those may be one one time a week for 30 minutes they may depending on the time of year maybe november december 
when we're not doing a lot of baseball, we may do three of those and we're not talking baseball. We're not talking cutoffs and relays. We're, we're giving guys opportunity to, um, to discuss core values or culture or answer the million dollar question. Like I'll call up, for example, this year, Austin Bose has been, in, you know, he was on our team last year, been in college for five years. And I'm going to give Bose a chance to say, Hey man, tell, tell these, this team, you know, about your experience in college. What do you know now you wish you knew as a freshman. Right. And so I think just continually finding alternative ways to enforce your culture and the things that you want, uh, you know, to be a part of you. Uh, Coach, you have mentioned a lot the importance of using a classroom. And I know for a lot of the coaches on the call uh, and the coaches that are catching this on the podcast or on the YouTube and the recording, um, I'm often shocked when I go around the country at how many coaches do not use the classroom as a part of their development when it comes to mental game or baseball or culture. And I know when you use the classroom, it was one of the things you had built when you did the complex renovation in Fort Worth. One of the things that's going to happen in, in college station and you use the classroom for mental game culture, but many other team activities, teaching around baseball, things like that. Could you please just t- talk about the importance of using a classroom as a coach? Yeah. So most of the guys on this call, probably they are teachers, right? And one of our, one of the problems we have in college baseball is like when I when I was going to college, when I decided I wanted to be a coach, well, I just started preparing myself at Elon to be a high school coach, to be a junior high coach, to and maybe eventually get to be a junior college coach. Or, to be, you know, I, I just got super lucky when I graduated college in 1992 that they put in this new rule with a volunteer coach. And a lot of guys lost their job. And I just so happened to be young and I didn't I was 22 years old. I didn't need money. I could just, you know peanut butter and jelly sandwich was fine so I was able to go right to Clemson and then you know never never I did my student teaching but I've never taught in high school but my point is a lot of coaches today aren't they don't have a teaching background they don't even know how to you know they don't have they don't know how to address the group they don't know how to truly teach a skill have a master plan for the year and then divide that into when, when you're teaching biology or you're teaching any subject, um, I think it's still true. You got to have your master plan for the year and then you break it up each month and you, and then you have your daily teaching plan and what you're going to do each day. At least that's how they taught me in college. And so um, teach, a, teaching, a good teaching space isn't a baseball field. It's, on, it's in a classroom and you, and you give guys opportunities to learn uh, in different ways. You can do it on a grease board. You can show them a video. And then you can go out and then you get the physical rep- you know, repetition of it. So um, my career changed. Uh, two things changed my coaching career. And one, and one of them was the classroom. And, and so to where we had a space where, and, and I think players need three places. They need a place to uh, get dressed and undressed. That's called a locker room. They need a place to hang out because baseball is a hangout sport. And that's called a lounge. And then, and then they, need, they need a place to learn. And that's a classroom. And up until we built that classroom, I was always bringing Brian Kane into the locker room. And that's their space. Like you walk in there and two minutes before you walked in, dudes were naked. They're, you know, jacking around like whatever, you know, college boys do. And now you're going to try and get them settled. And in a teaching environment, that's not it's not happening. It's not a it's not a good teaching environment. So once we created that classroom, you could hear them coming down the hall. Like I'm, I'm sure it is in a high school hallway. As soon as they walk into the classroom, 
it's a different atmosphere. They know that this is where I learn. Hey, I'm about to be presented with something that's going to help me. Right. And it's a teaching time. It's like class. So that, that has just changed us. And uh, the first thing I did when I took the job at A&M, they had two player lounges and I said, we don't need two player lounges, get rid of all this stuff. Let's jam 45 little table and chairs with the flip over desk until we have our own classroom. So, um, I would just encourage everybody on this call. If you, if you, I'm sure they're all already using it, but if you're not use that, use the access to your classroom as a positive to, to coach your team, whether it be baseball related things or, you know, in, in reinforcing your culture. Awesome. We got time for, for one more question here. And again, just before we take our last question here, I want to thank Coach Slosnagel for taking time to join us here tonight on Coaching Matters. I also want to thank you as a coach for everything that you do uh, to, for, to impact the lives of the players in your program. And I want to thank uh, Fundraising University uh, CEO and founder Mike Bahoon for providing the opportunity for us here with, with Coaching Matters in this group coaching program. And again, if you're interested in joining the mission with Fundraising University and Coaching Matters, please go ahead and click on the link inside of here in our show notes. Coach, last question for you. You've got nine, nine former assistant coaches that are Division I college baseball coaches right now. And that is as impressive a family tree as maybe anybody in college athletics you know, the only one that might be a little bit bigger is Nick Saban. I'd, I'd imagine in football. I don't know. But, you know, you've got nine coaches that are Division One college head baseball coaches, not to mention all the players that are doing their their lesson facility and the high school coaches and, you know, all the all those things that, that they could get into. Uh, question came in. It said, Coach, what do you what do you do to help educate your assistant coaches with the turnover that you've had and get assistant coaches to buy into the mental game and the development? Wow. Great question. Um, well, certainly in the interview process, you know, when I'm having conversations with them, you know, just say, Hey, here, here, here are the things that are rock solid in our program that aren't changing. Like these are the pillars of our program. Um, and if this is something that you're interested in and you want to bring something to the table, baseball wise, that's great. Um, but you know, these things are never changing. So it's, we're very clear up front. Uh, and then, I'm going to give you a, you know, if you're Bill Moziello or if you're Tony Vitello, if you're, you know, Randy Maisie, you know, you, you're going to have a lot of responsibility in this program. If you're the, if you're the pitching coach, you're the head coach of the pitchers. Um, I'm never going to, you know, get in your way as the head coach. I'm, I'm going to provide feedback. I'm going to say the things I want to say, but I'm, I, I don't want players. One of my things for our coaches is, is there's only one voice to the team and that's the head coach but there's also only one voice to your area of responsibility. So I don't want the pitching coach saying a word to a hitter or the hitting coach saying a word to a pitcher. When, when, when we get together at a staff meeting, anybody, anybody can say anything they want. We can argue. And then when we walk out, we're a united front, but the, the things that have to be consistent is the mental game. Like I can't have a pitching coach that's not invested in, in mental routines and focal points or the ability to red light, yellow light, green light, red light releases, like all of the, the, the core things that we believe in. So um, we, that'll never work. And so uh, those are just, those are part of the pillars of the program. And then those guys come in. Um, I've never been afraid. Uh, we've always paid coaches. Well, luckily I've, you know, as we grew the program at TCU, everybody benefited from that. And so I've never been afraid to, you know, I'll always try to keep our coaches, but if a guy wants to go be a head coach, 
that's awesome because when the team goals are met, individual goals get met. And, and all that does is help us hire the next guy, you know? And it was awesome that Randy, when Randy Maisie went to West Virginia, um, then that allowed us to hire Kirk Sarlos, who's now, you know, successful coach. So um, those things have never scared me. A lot of coaches don't like to give their staff uh, responsibility. Um, and I've never been afraid to do that, obviously, as long as it's the right person. Yeah, amazing. There was one more question that came in. I got to find it in the chat here that I thought was tremendous. Um, where'd it go? Boom, right there. Coach, you mentioned the million-dollar question. What do you know now you wish you knew then? They asked you that. What's the million-dollar question to Jim Schlossnagel? What do you know now having had eight, you know, eight, nine assistants take over Division one programs? Probably lost count with the number of first-round picks. Uh, five, six trips to the College World Series. You know, how, probably eight Coach of the Year awards. National Coach of the Year in 2016 in all of college baseball. What is it that you know now you wish you knew when you first started coaching baseball at Clemson as an assistant out of Elon? Well, I would say more so as a um, head coach, uh, a couple of things. Number one, all of the things we're talking about are the most important things. Um, the baseball stuff will take care of itself. Uh, you truly have to stand for something. And if, and if the people in your program can't define that with clarity, then you don't have culture. You don't have, you just don't have one. Um, but I, I think number in the, in the sport of baseball specifically, when I became a head coach, I, I was very, very bad. Uh, I personalized the performance of the player. You have to remember this, how, how hard the game is. It's a simple game, but it's really, really hard to play. And um, I remember someone saying, when, I read somewhere one time, don't, don't forget how long it took you to become perfect, right? So it, that's a joke. Like nobody's perfect. So um, one thing I learned from Bill Moziello, who uh, you know is the head coach now at Ohio State, is is empathy with players. And when they get, when there's a runner at third base with one out and the guy strikes out, the younger version of me would really get upset and really act like the kid was trying to strike out, right? And and so I, because I, all I was thinking about was, you just you're keeping us you're keeping us from winning a game, and that goes next to my name, and like he's trying to do things for you, not against you, right? And so, um, try to be more sympathetic, empathetic with players, especially the guys that put the work in. Like, if the guy's doing everything right, I mean, you just have to live in you have to live in the consequences are the consequences as long as he's making right decisions away from the field. So can't personalize the, the, the development of the player. And then I think the last thing is, is just be careful how you use your voice. Um, I told you that I've had two great things that have happened in my career. And the second one was I stopped meeting with teams after games. Um, and I know that's still super popular, even in college baseball, when the game ends, you see both teams go to like their little amoebas, like, this one goes out the left field and this one goes out the right field. And I stopped doing that in 2014. The greatest change I've ever made as a coach. Just stop it. It's not a teachable moment. Everybody's emotional. No one wants to hear what you have to say. I promise you, no one wants to hear it. Those are for coaches to get things off their chest. And that's not fair. Everybody just wants to go home. Everybody's just, when you lose, everybody's hungry and they just want to go home. When you win, everybody's hungry and they just want to go home. I'm telling you, wait till the next day 
And then the emotions have come down and we set a time before we stretch to review what happened the day before. And most of the time, the things that I would have said after the game, 24 hours later, you know what? It's not even worth bringing up. Or, hey, now I've got the emotion out of it. Here's, you know, we could have done a better job on this relay play. We could have done a better, hey, great job on this rundown, right? You start bringing up the up the uh, positive. So that, for me personally, um, that's been a huge change. It's made me a better person, helps me sleep better, um, and a better, much, 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 better interpersonal relationships with the players coach i gotta i i want i'm trying to get to get, get you out of here i got one more question if you got time right i mean you're, okay. you're, you're the head coach uh in the sec you're at texas a&m you're taking over a new program you got a massive facility uh upgrades going on you know you've got two children in college like you have a lot going on how do you invest into gym to make sure that your energy is where it needs to be every day. Because the one thing we talk a lot about here with coaching matters is you have to take care of yourself first. Like nobody wants your B game. So you can't not invest in you and then show up and expect to be great. How do you, how do you manage the stress and what do you do to invest in gym to make sure your energy is where it needs to be to serve every day? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, Brian, you've helped me a lot in that with to define my, you know, morning and evening routines a little bit better. Um, to have, uh, you know, what, you, what you've talked about, Wojo from Marquette, talking about how self-care isn't selfish. Um, I treat my job as it's a lifestyle, it's not an occupation. Um, but I've also, you know, learned enough to know that I have to, when I get up in the morning, I have to do something active um, just to, you know, keep me from going straight to the office. So whether it be on the treadmill for 30 minutes or taking a walk, um, I have to have something at the end of a day. Uh, so, uh, you know, going for a 30 minute walk is huge, uh, for me. Um, you know, faith is a big part of my life. So, um, you know, a daily time in prayer or a daily, you know, even if it's a, you know, on my habit shares, you know, listening to, uh, Rick Warren, you know, uh, 15 minute excerpt from one of his sermons is, is something that's that, that's important to me so just just finding those things that allow you to kind of take a breath and regroup um but 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 also be super be be able to say no right so i'm super segmented uh i get to the office like i'm very aware of what i allow to come across my desk and what i say yes to in the mornings and then uh I try, you know, do something at lunch, whether it be we have lunch delivered each day or, or run lunch real quick. But then when I come back, it's there's a definite separation like we have what we try to have with our players between, uh, you know, the baseball coach uh, or the guy in the office who's running the program and the guy who actually gets to go be a coach on the field. And so when I put on whatever I'm wearing for practice that day, it's the same way I ask the players. Um, then it's time to be baseball. Like, you know, 30% of my job is actually getting to be on the baseball field. And um, so I have some rules for myself, you know, that help. Like, for, for example, I never talked about, I never talk academics to a player on a baseball field. If I want to talk to them about something away from the field, academics or something else, it's always in my office before or after practice. Um, and those things kind of, they help the player, but they also help me to separate, you know, between the guy that's running a program and the guy is actually a, baseball coach right with a fungo in his hand who's who's doing baseball stuff so um but yeah i mean i i, I haven't been good at it uh there, I, there, i've all i've failed I've, I've learned um a lot 
from from the people that I've learned from our players uh, more than I think they've learned from me. Um, and, uh, and and same thing for assistant coaches. I've taken something from everybody. So just constantly trying to evolve. Yeah, I love that. Big two two biggest takeaways for me were the three the three places that players need. They need a, they need a, a locker room to change your clothes and do their own thing. They need a lounge to be able to hang out, and they need a classroom to learn. And then the idea of I talk a lot about sweat before screens and exercise in the morning to get it going. The end of the day piece to decompress because it's I feel like um once I get into work I'm in work, but at the end of the day I need some type of movement or something to almost kick me out of it and back into other aspects because otherwise it becomes really, really hard to shut off. I don't sleep well. I'm thinking about it all the time and I'm not separating the who and the do, which I think is essential at the highest level to be able to maintain the energy that you need to be successful as a coach, as a father, as a friend, and as a person. I would also say you got to have a super tight inner circle, right? Like you're the, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So be careful who that is. And I have, to me, a true friend, like a real friend is someone that can, uh, can, can look at me and say, Hey man, what you're doing is like, that's, that's bogus. Like, that's not who you are. Or like, that's BS. Like you, you shouldn't be doing that. Or, or, you know, on the flip side, they can say, Hey man, you did an awesome job today. Right. And so, you know, keeping that circle, circle really, really tight and having people a lot of times as the head coach, especially who can you talk to? I mean, you can talk to your staff about 80% of the things, but there's 20% of the things that happen in our program that I can't talk to those guys about. I can talk to my athletic director about, but having other coaches. So when I was at TCU, Gary Patterson, you know, was a football coach and we talked a lot here, Buzz Williams and I have are starting a relationship. And so, you know, I'm like, you know, the, the saying it's lonely at the top uh, is very true. Right. And, and you, so you need obviously your, your wife or, or your significant other, that's, that's important, but you have to have somebody. Mm. Awesome. Coach Loss, man, we can sit here and do this uh, for days on end, brother. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you everybody for, for jumping on and joining us. I think we have the same number of people who we started with an hour and 15 or hour and 20 minutes ago, which is always a good sign. So coach, thanks for being here. Coaches, thanks for being here. And thanks for what you do for kids. Mike Bahoon, Fundraising University. Thank you for providing the opportunity here for us to continue this growth and education for coaches, which is, is the most important role. Uh, and I think anything that we do in schools, anything we do in, in, in teaching and coaching. So thank you for what you're doing. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you next month on Coaching Matters. All right. Thanks, Giga. Coach.